This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Everybody. Welcome back to Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Monthly Podcast. I am Steve Saipa, and I'm joined by the full crew, Lucas Wahos, Ken Levin, and Thomas Anderson. How's everybody doing? All right. Good, doing good. Well. How are you? <laughs> okay. Um, so before we start this week, I just want to take um, a moment of silence dedicated to George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Philandro Castle, Laquan McDonald, Freddie Gray, Eric Garner, Kai Gurley, Sandra Bland, you know, all of those victims of police violence over the last couple of years and all of those unknown victims out there. All right. So we'll start off with Promote Extend Trade. And on this date in 1982, uh, one of the best pitchers in baseball, his baseball history died. Um, he also happens to be a black athlete, Satchel Page. Um, if you've never read a biography of Satchel Page before, I really recommend that you do because he lived a 
pretty crazy life. Uh, I would describe him as a true G based on some of the stuff. Yeah. Based on some of the things that, you know, we know about his life. So, uh, gonna modify promote extend trade a little bit and we'll just kind of rank these things, you know, one, two, three. Um, here are some of, here are three satchel page stories. So let's rank them in order of, you know, genus, basically. Uh, I, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me though, like, I, I can't think of any other word to describe these things. So, uh, the first story, is at some point in uh his his career before 1931 basically Dizzy Dean um said on a radio interview that he had no clue how to throw a curveball so in secret he spent the next couple of years practicing and perfecting how to throw a curveball and he didn't use it though until he was facing Dizzy Dean in a barnstorming game and then he threw nothing but curveballs to Dizzy Dean and Jesus got him the strike Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Story number two is that he liked to uh, intentionally walk the bases loaded, tell his infielders and the outfielders to relax, sit down, take a break, and then proceed to strike out the next batters that he faced just, to end the inning. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know if you could even top that, and you haven't even said <laughs> the third story yet. Well, I'm not even done with this one. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> so he took that to the extreme in the 1942 Negro League World Series, and he walked the bases loaded to get to Josh Gibson. Oh. He told his fielders, everyone, take a break, relax. He told Josh Gibson every single pitch that he was about to throw, and he got him to strike out on three pitches. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> that can't and, possibly be true. I don't know. That's part of the greatness, I guess, is that we'll never really know. And this third story is definitely one that we'll never really know. Um, But some estimate that he pitched more than 2,500 games over the course of his 40-year career. Um, And according to Page, he was able to do that because when he was playing for a semi-pro team in North Dakota, he became friends with a Sioux medicine man, and he regularly put a salve of rattlesnake venom and gunpowder on his arm. So literal snake oil. <laughs> yes, literal snake oil. And that's what kept his arm healthy and able to pitch professionally for 40 plus years. Bullshit. <laughs> it's got to be the Josh Gibson story, I think. Because Josh, Josh Gibson was like elite, elite. And he was just like embarrassing him in the World Series. Like, <laughs> you know, like, that's incredible. Uh... I mean, I ob- it's obviously incredible, but the pettiness of spending three years learning how to throw a <laughs> curveball and telling no one to fuck one guy over who one time said, yeah, you don't know how to throw a curveball, and was right about you not knowing how to throw a curveball. He, he don't even like he said anything ridiculous. He didn't throw a curveball. That's insane. <laughs> That's so good. The, the, the pettiness is, is too good for me. That's my mm-hmm. first one. The second one is the basis loaded thing, and then the snake oil one triggers me too much as a PhD student to <laughs> just get that shit out of here. So are you saying if Noah Syndergaard did that, he wouldn't have had Tommy John? Because- uh-huh. You never know. I feel like if, if Noah Syndergaard befriended a old Sioux medicine man, who knows what would happen. So, <laughs> oh, he might Someone have. Get- 
Someone get Degrom on the uh, on the stack. <laughs> Knowing the Mets left, though, he'll die. So <laughs> he'll like misread the instructions and like actually get bit by the rattlesnake <laughs> and just fucking die. The Mets doctors are like, "No, drink it." He's like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> Not optimal. Yeah, I ranked it the same way as Lucas. I think that just the pettiness of secretly perfecting curveball just to throw it in, in Dizzy Dean's face is just it's just beautiful. <laughs> you can't really top that. Oh, it's it's poetic. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move on now. Let's do a quick um CPBL and KBO update. The Uni Lions, they went 1-4 on the week, which brings them to a 13-22 and 22 record. <clears throat> and the hitter of the week is Chi Xian Chen, who was hitter of the week a couple of weeks ago. And this week, he, he had a pretty good week. He went 11 for 18 with five home runs, 13 RBI, three walks, and four strikeouts. So that will play. Yeah, yep. that's, a, that, that's, that's good. I'll take it. And the pitcher of the week is a gentleman by the name of Chen Yang Chiang, who pitched seven strong innings this week. He'll have two runs on three hits and a walk, and he struck out four. And uh, Chiang is a typical crafty lefty. Uh, fastball sits in the high 80s, low 90s, has a, a big loopy curveball, an effective changeup. He was drafted out of high school by the Union Lions in 2014, pitched a couple of innings that year, but he really became a regular in 2015. Uh, he's been pitching now for seven seasons. Is is okay. Obviously, pitching is very weak in the CPBL. So for his career, he's a 5.12 ERA. Um, not the best. His best season, though, came in 2018 when he had a 3.45 ERA in almost 100 innings um, with 90 hits, 35 walks, and 81 strikeouts. So that that'll... That's good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Korea now, we'll move over there. And the LG Twins, they went 2-4 and four in the week. And that leaves them at 17-11 and 11 for the year. The hitter of the week, once again, is Roberto Ramos. He went 6-17 for 17 with a double, two home runs, five RBI, <clears throat> two walks, and six strikeouts. The dude's so going to be the MVP. It's nuts. Yeah, yeah he he's, like, he's going to walk to it. He's up to 12 homers for the year, which is leading the league. And the LG Twins record is 30, which was hit by Byung-Ku Lee in 1999. So that record is definitely in play. He's going to break I, it in like a month. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they, did they, did they like get the juice? The MLB have a bunch of extra balls laying around since they're not playing and say, hey, you guys want some juice balls? They did have a juice ball in Korea, uh, I want to say in like 20, 14, like in the mid 2010s. I'm not sure how the ball plays now because I know that was, you know, a thing that happened there too, where it was kind of a, a mini scandal. I was able, though, to find the KBO record for home runs. It was Sung Yuk Lee who uh, has the, you know, had the Asian record that we mentioned last week. Mm-hmm. Um, those 56 home runs that he hit in 2003 is the KBO record. In theory, if Ramos keeps this pace up, he could challenge that too. Um, less likely. Yeah. But you never know. Um, it's, it's so insane to see dudes who are like quad A guys 
go overseas and just be like superstars. Like it's so he was a real, was a real-ish prospect at one point. Yeah, yeah, he he was. Uh, I think Rockies, right? He yep, was yeah. at, like the back end of their top twenty-five, and just the problem with him was the power was legit, and you know the the hit tool was suboptimal, and obviously he was kind of limited defensively. So Chunky. those kinds of yeah, those kinds of guys fall through the cracks, but. And it makes sense that if he's struggling with the contact tool here, that going to a place with less pitch speed and stuff like yep. that would just would be a very big help for him. Yep. I mean, if, if you have slider bat speed and that's all they throw, then then you're good. Yeah. Works out. Yeah. Um, the pitcher of the week, much less, much much less exciting player. It's Chan Hyung Jung. He threw seven shutout innings this week. He allowed three hits. He walked two, and he struck out 11. So Jung was drafted in 2008. He was selected by the Twins in the second round, and he immediately made his debut. He was inserted into the Twins rotation, and he promptly lost 11 games in a row. Ouch. So, yeah. He was uh, used as a swingman the next year and then pitched exclusively at the bullpen in 2010. And after that season ended, he lost actually three years of his career from an elbow injury, a back injury, and then he had to do his compulsory compulsory military service. So when all that was finally said and done, it was uh, 2013. And he's basically been a kind of nondescript middle reliever since then. But he has had a couple of notable incidents. In 2014, he sparked a benches clearing brawl, which is Uh. rare. Good, Pretty good, rare good. in Korea. Yeah. And then the next year, he was suspended for a couple of months for getting arrested for drunk driving. So, you know, not a, not a great record here. But Very messy. <laughs> yeah, this year, the Twins manager, they put him in the starting rotation because it is a condensed season. Um, you know, they're trying to get in all of their games, but they lost about a month or so because of coronavirus. Um, and he... Won his second game in his career uh, this year, <laughs> and nice. the first one was in 2008. So there's a 12-year gap. That might be the longest professional gap, like <laughs> yeah. the, long, the record for longest gap in a professional league. <laughs> yeah, two wins. And then a week later, he won his third. So good for him. <laughs> oh, look at he's on a winning streak now. Yeah, we love it. And he's, he's everything's doing, coming up Millhouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's been doing pretty well as a starter this year. He has a 3.52 ERA in 23 innings, um, and a, a few walks and a striker rate shade over uh, one per nine. Uh, excuse nine per nine. So, you know, not uh, too bad. Earlier in his career, he was kind of a fireballer, uh, mid 90s fastball, but obviously injuries and age have taken a toll. So now he's more of a finesse high 80s guy with a big loopy curveball that he uses as his uh, strikeout pitch. We love a loopy curveball. Of course. Especially when Satchel Page is throwing them. Mm-hmm. Exclusively. I, w- I wonder if there's like a I'm, – I'm, if, the, if these pitchers or, or other players ever like sync up their injury recoveries with their mi- military service or, or if the military is uh, – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Christ, it starts with a K. Crazy. Whatever, aware of people trying to do that and say, uh-uh, you can't come here until you're healthy. Just show up in a cast. Yeah, I had a TJ yesterday. I can't be, I can't do boot camp right now. 
But I'm here. So about that military service. Uh I'm not really sure how their military service works, but I know that they do. It's it's not like you're just kind of thrown in the army. Yeah. They do have things more like Peace Corps or whatever. So I I don't know. I mean, it might be possible to uh, kind of game the system there. All right. So this upcoming week, um, if you're not aware, it's the – 2020 draft it's taking place the first two rounds are wednesday night and then the last three are thursday and normally this would be like one of my favorite times of the year maybe because i'm a masochist but (laughs) i take you know a couple days off from work and i just basically do nothing but sit in front of the computer eat drink coffee and pump out all these you know uh draft profiles about these guys And, you know, just this year, it sucks. Uh, Just not really into it. Coronavirus ended all high school baseball and college baseball uh, in February, a few games in. So a lot of the fun of, like, following these guys and seeing them jump up and down in the draft boards is gone. And then MLB had to shorten the draft to just five rounds. So that takes a lot of the fun out of, like, finding all these little tidbits about all those really obscure late round guys. And then just, you know, everything else going on outside in the world, you know, and YPD just bashing people's heads in. It just haven't really been interested in baseball lately. Yeah. Um, it's, it's okay. Hard. Neither are the owners, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. But I sat down and I just kind of forced myself to make up like my mock draft. And like before I knew it, an hour passed and it just really like, I miss baseball, man, you know? Mm. And I'm pretty sure we all do. And they got their shit together in Taiwan and in South Korea. And in a couple of weeks, they're going to start in Japan. And MLB, they need to get their shit together because really, like, they just need to figure shit out. The billionaires are haggling over basically a couple of dollars. And it's going to do irreparable harm. Especially knowing that the CBA, you know, is going to about to expire, and we're totally um, getting a work stoppage from that. So we're basically oh yeah, just going to have exactly. like a three-year stretch with no oh, baseball. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's almost guaranteed to be a strike now. Like, <laughs> it could have, yeah. Just there, there's literally no reason for the players not to, based on how the owners are acting right now. Don't worry, though. People on Twitter will still side with the owners. Yeah, I know. I mean, people are dumb. (laughs) But really, I think this shows that among all the other things, all the things that need to be addressed is that the the office of the commissioner of baseball really needs to be approved by the players and owners. Fumigated? I was just going to go with that. Well, yes, you could you could do that, too. But having a commissioner that's either was an owner or, you know, was picked by a former owner, it, you know, it's just not good. Having the commissioner skew one way or the other is not uh, not working out. Steve, are you telling me that um, handpicking a commissioner solely to squash the players' union uh, wasn't a good idea for the long-term health of the game? I think that might be it. <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm shocked, Steve. Mm. And uh, uh, to, to lay some blame on the players here as well, maybe don't have a former player heading your union. Maybe have someone who uh, 
knows what they're doing slightly more than Tony Clark heading your union. <laughs> Just a yeah, thought. I mean, the, there's lots of lawyers out there, guys. I mean, think of think of how much you know Marvin Miller is able to get done, and how powerful the union was back in the day. And now compare, you know, it's mm, not great. Not great, Bob. No. But yeah, I mean. The commissioner should be impartial as much as they can be impartial and, you know, representing the interests of the MLB as a whole and not just the financial interests of owners and just having them in that situation, having them skew towards that side is just screwing things up. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, but, you know, back to the draft, and it's going to be a weird one this year. Uh, as you probably know, uh, it's going to be limited to just five rounds plus a couple of compensation rounds. The Mets ended the regular season uh, with a 86-76 and 76 record. So that means that they are going to be picking the 19th overall pick. Uh, the Mets have actually had the 19th overall pick only once before in 2016 when they picked Justin Dunn. Uh, because the Red Sox, they lost their second round pick. The Mets are going to be picking in the second round at 52. And then as compensation for Zach Wheeler going to the Phillies, <laughs> remember that? All right. Um, <laughs> the Mets, the Mets are going to be receiving the 69th overall selection, so nice job. Nice, pretty nice. nice. Yeah, pretty yeah. nice there. That's a nice Um, one. the third round is going to be the 91st selection. The fourth round is going to be the 120th selection. And the fifth round is going to be 150th selection. So all and all, the Mets have a draft bonus pool of $7.2 million, rounding up a little bit. And just for comparison's sake, Last year, the Mets drafted Brad Beatty, Josh Wolf, Matthew Allen, Jake Mangum, and Nathan Jones with their first five picks. And they spent on them $8.6 million, again, rounding up a little bit. So there's a little less money to go around uh, this year, and fewer players are being selected. So that probably means that Going with a bold strategy like the Mets did last year probably is off the table since there's less wiggle room to figure things out. But smarter people than me are making the decision, so maybe I'm wrong and they'll surprise me. But I'm expecting this year's draft to kind of be pretty blah. Also, I feel like they would be less likely to convince someone to not go to college. Yeah, it's – I mean, there's – it feels like other years you're more likely to, to to convince a kid to like forego their college uh their college uh commitment. But now like I don't know why I would if I, unless I was getting like legit first round money, you know? Yeah, like, it's, I mean there's very few reasons why. Unless you're just say, you know, screw it, going to college is only a way to get drafted. 
in the yeah. long scheme. And if I could do it now, great. And there are some guys that are like that. So, you know, but yeah, by and large, I don't see why if I'm a guy with promise that I would forego going to college to sign, um, you know, fifth round money, which is going to be a lot less this year <laughs> than yeah. it was in years past. Yeah. Um, but you know, hey, you never know. I, I have, I, I've more important research. I just went through the last ten years of number sixty-nine overall picks, and uh, not great, unfortunately. <laughs> oh no. The only, the only one I think is at all notable is Adrian Hauser, who was picked by the Astros, and then, and then he kind of broke out with the Brewers last year. Uh, no one else is notable in the last decade, which is very disappointing. Come on, it's the sixty-ninth pick. Baseball gods, please. <laughs> well, maybe the Mets can break the trend. Be nice. But, but knowing the Mets, no, they will not break the trend. No. <laughs> They'll somehow make it worse. Yes, they will pick the worst 69th pick in the history of baseball. I, mean, I, I don't know any of these names. Like, we're, we're some people who are pretty well turned in, tuned into this stuff. I have no idea who these people are. James Darnell apparently made the majors. I, I got nothing. He sounds like a fourth outfielder on the Marlins or third Bowers. baseman on the Padres. So not <laughs> okay, far off. Not even close, though. But <laughs> no, that's pretty at the same close. Time. <laughs> anyway, he's like the creative player. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. auto gets generated. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so normally we just kind of go over like the first round, but this is kind of a weird draft. So I said, screw it. Let's just go the whole way through. Um, the season ended in February anyway, so with the exception of teams who I'm sure got to see some private bullpen sessions and workouts and everything, everybody's flying blind. So why the hell not? Let's just, let's get crazy here. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, Lucas, yes, you are general manager of the Mets. You are on the clock. Who are you selecting? First round. First round at 19, uh, so I'll, I'll start by saying the, the caveat is that if Mitchell's on the board, I'm running up to the podium to take Mitchell. Um, Garrett Mitchell, that is. But there's almost no way he's going to be there. We could talk about that more later. And I'm not going to steal your guy either. So let's instead talk about Austin Hendrick, who is a, a prep outfielder with uh, some insane rotational athletic skills and questionable bat-to-ball skills. Um there's something of a parallel between him and, and Nimmo in that Hendrick has not faced really good competition in Western Pennsylvania, not to the same degree where Nimmo literally didn't have high school baseball and was just a dude <laughs> hanging out in his barn. <laughs> and apparently is a ma- that's somehow enough to make you a major leaguer. But um, like there, it, it's not totally out of the question that Hendrick could improve his bat-to-ball skills and, and then tap into that raw power. And really become like the, the prototypical right field prospect. He's got a really good arm, would have insane power, uh, big dude out there in the, in a corner outfield spot. Um, I think there's also a longer discussion to be had about all the prep outfielders in this range. And we could either do that now or, or wait till later once we've gone through our other picks. But Thomas and I were talking a little bit about this in Slack yesterday. Yeah. Cause my pick is still, um, <clears throat> who we were talking about, so we could talk about that after. Okay, yeah, I'll wait then. Yeah, well, go ahead, Thomas. You can go next. Who is okay. your guy? 
so I'm still I'm if people remember when we were talking way earlier than this about the pre-draft stuff like the, the pre, I think we we're still in spring training I said that I would I'd be looking at Pete Crow Armstrong and I still would if I was the Mets at 19 even though he probably would just go to Vanderbilt and not sign um <clears throat> the, the the reason why is because because this is such a low information draft and he's the type of guy who will have a high floor with being very he has a good defense and he and he's fast and he has I'm pretty sure he has good contact it's just his power is his biggest question mark I would take the swing on that at 19 in a draft like this just because I don't want to miss completely on a draft on a on a five round draft like I'm prioritizing a little safety even though I'm still looking at upside and I'm not taking like a college pitcher who will be a reliever you know like I I think it's a good combination of the two of like looking for upside and also looking for someone who is a high who has a high ceiling but also has a floor to him where I feel like some of these power bats are just either going to be very good or they're just gonna like be a quad a dude so that's really what I'm thinking about when I'm talking about guys like that so yeah yeah, I love me some Pico Armstrong, but yeah, I don't imagine he gets. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's it's it sucks because maybe you could convince him if he had a full season because he would probably go higher than nineteen. But why would he go nineteen when he could just go to the one of the best baseball schools in the country, <laughs> if not the best, and then just play behind Jack Leiter and Kumar yeah. Walker for a year. And then figure it out after that, you know? Like, especially no... as a, a hitting prospect rather than a pitching prospect. Exactly. There's no real upside to him not going <laughs> unless he really thinks that he'll make it, like, soon. Right. <laughs> go, go to one of the best baseball programs in the United States or, or go to the Mets. Mets. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oof. Oof. <laughs> well, when you put it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alright, uh, Ken, who are you picking? Um, so I'm of a few different minds here. Um, I'm inclined to take a very good look at some of the preps who, um, you know, might otherwise go higher if their season hadn't been canceled. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. I think there's, it's almost impossible to determine where somebody like Ed Howard's going to fall. Yep. Um, just because again, there's literally no information from the last year on. <laughs> Yeah. His ability to play. So I would say my preference would be for one of them. However, I have a hard time thinking, you know, Howard, Hassel, or, you know, the two guys that have been mentioned are still going to be on the board. Uh, so I'm going to be boring and go with Cole Wilcox, starter from, uh, University of Georgia. Um, he, um, traditionally has struggled with command, but in, in a small sample, you know, commanded the ball very well, uh, for Georgia. And um, I think he's got a pretty good chance to start, uh, given he's already got three pitches that, you know, worked pretty well at the college level, uh, including a pretty good changeup to go with his fastball slider combo. And um, he's got, like, a really good boring fastball. Mm. Like, boring is in movement, not <laughs> boring is no, in movement. No, it's just a very boring pitch. <laughs> it just puts you right to sleep. <laughs> it puts you right to sleep, but that's what you want, yeah. <laughs> people to sleep on it. Um, so the other thing that kind of, I kind of talked myself into, to Wilcox today, um, thinking about what the lost development time for a lot of these guys might mean. And, um, Wilcox, a guy who's already got a relatively long track record of SEC play, I could see him, you know, 
being a fastball slider guy out of the pen for a team this year on the taxi squad. So I'm not sure that's a particularly good reason. Um, you know, the lost development time, avoiding the lost development time. I'm not sure if that's a particularly good reason to draft somebody. But I think it's interesting and worth considering, especially since I think he does have a pretty a decent chance to start, which is ultimately a good use of a, of a you know pick around number twenty. So it I is an interesting see- angle. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I could yes. see the Mets like taking someone to use this year. <laughs> it's it's a very Mets thing to do, but I also don't think it's you know. A particular, I, I think it's an interesting thing to think about. How much do you care about the lost development time of, of a guy's first year? Mm. Especially when you consider next year there's going to be low A, double, uh, low A, high A, double, and and triple A. You're losing those two <clears throat> leagues. Um, so you know the amount of time that a guy is going to be spending in the minor leagues is going to be now be kind of changing and skewed. Yeah, like they're not does, going to be able to send him to Brooklyn for a summer, you know? Yeah, that, yeah. that does give more of an impetus to kind of pick a guy that can move quicker because there's just fewer bodies that are going to be in the, in the system now. Yeah. Uh, that being said, if, if Ed Howard or, um, Hassel are available at number 19, um, I would probably choose either of them over. Wilcox for the opposite reason that I, I think that there's upside to be had in drafting a guy who's, you know, might be closer to a top 10 selection if they mm-hmm. had a very good spring. Um, you know, there's hidden upside in that. So I think there's also, since we've now, uh, each of us has named the, the three top high school outfielders here. I think there's a, a, a question aside from the, Developmental time aspect where given, given, uh, professional players recent ability to, to add power as they modify their swings, not just due to the juiced ball, but due to better mechanics or training, what have you. Is it more interesting to take a guy like Hassel or, or Crow Armstrong who have some tweener risk, I would say? Um, uh, but, uh, Probably a more a well a more well established hit tool than a guy like Hendricks who has the stupid raw power but hit tool questions right so is it better to take that higher floor guy and then assume that or or hope that some of the swing trends in baseball can improve their power or are you better off still just going with a high upside but very low floor option I don't have a good answer to that and I obviously went with Hendricks because I guess I like dingers but I think there's a <laughs> Especially if you have faith in your hitting staff or your hitting yeah. coaching staff, to that there's an argument that you would rather have Hassell or Crow uh, Armstrong, and then just try to, hey, hey, stomp and lift, you can yeah. hit some more bombs. Yeah, I mean, you could always teach a guy how to hit better, but you can't necessarily teach them how to hit for power. So, see, I would argue the opposite. Yeah, but, um, the biggest swings you're going to have in terms of. Um, actualization of talent are on the hit tool just because it's so subjective to evaluate yep, you're, and, and very difficult to um, project based on the, you know, how variable high school talent is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, generally when it comes to like evaluating college players, I like power over hit just because there's, I don't want to say like, like a low chance, but like if a guy is whiffing, you know, 
at an, an, ex, an extraordinarily high rate in college, you know, that I'll tells you something about, yeah, yeah, yeah he's he's screwed. No, yeah in pro ball. For sure. Um, in high school, a lot more of that can get washed out due to, you know, this guy's just the best player in the state. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right there. You know? Um, so I, you know, where I'm, I overvalue power in college, I probably, um, put a little more emphasis, emphasis on, on scouting or what we know about a player's hit tool in, in high school. Mm-hmm. That's fair. And I'm sure we've mentioned this many times in the past, but high school numbers, obviously, they just don't really matter mean nothing. Mean yes. nothing. I mean, in terms of the athleticism, I think, I think it's Crow Armstrong is the best overall athlete. Uh, Hendricks has the most rotational talent and then Hassel somewhere in the middle. Uh, but again, this is from reading one paragraph blurbs from various websites that honestly don't know much more than us at this point with information from six months ago. Yeah, that's the thing is that not having baseball, you could have these, you know, a, a high school guy that was an athletic six foot, you know, 170 pounds can now be six foot five to 10. And all of a sudden Especially since like, they're 18 you know, years old. Exactly. This, it's shit like, wow, happens. this is a completely different guy now. So uh-huh. not to people like us, but to real athletes. Yeah, this happens. Yes. Yeah. I mean, some, someone who could have been valued as this like, Oh yeah, he's, you know, has some potential, but you know, maybe he gets picked, you know, 200 can now legit be seen by a club as like, 10th best guy. You know, yep. Not not very likely that big of a jump, but this stuff is happening behind the scenes here with these guys, and only really the clubs that have more insider information than everybody else has the ability to kind of keep close tabs on everybody. And, and the funniest part about that insider information, it's like just a little bit more than us, honestly, right now. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, <clears throat> how much could you tell from an online bullpen workout or whatever it is? Like, a lot, it's just, this draft is going to be so hard for us to be like, for us to evaluate, like, when it happens, and we're just going to be like, yeah, it looks like a good pick even more than normal, because baseball is all, is already kind of hard to figure out. <clears throat> yep, yep. And then you factor in on top that we have such little information as it is. Like, I don't know, man. It's going to be tough. Yeah. All right. For the first round guard that I picked, I kind of talked myself into it and like, yeah, he's going to be awesome. <laughs> uh, I would have loved to go with one of those prep high school guys, but I just don't know how they come up with enough overslot money in this really compressed draft. So that's the other wrinkle. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm going with Dylan Dingler, who is a catcher from Ohio State. And on the surface, the numbers are not that impressive. Uh, over three years there, he has accumulative 267, 362, 396 batting line. You know, the power especially is not sexy at all. I'm willing to give the numbers a little asterisk because A, he broke his handmate bone last year. And that's an injury that we know can mess up a guy's, you know, swing power. Yeah. yeah that's and bad. in the couple of games that he got into this year, it does look like he turned the corner and was fine. He hit five homers in 13 games. So that's that's a good ratio. 50 at bats, I think. Just hit, he's, got a, he's got a 60 homer guy at the major league level. There we exactly. Go. Um, but, you know, the offensive tools, they're fine. Hit tools average. Powers maybe a little above average. He's got a good eye. Defensively, he is a catcher, so 
Uh, it's a good, it's an overall above average uh, package behind the plate. It's a strong arm. It's accurate. He's pretty mobile behind the plate. He receives well for our college kids. So I feel like a guy like that is, has a high floor. And, you know, it's a weird draft. So <laughs> why not? Yeah, I, think, I don't, I wouldn't mind that. I don't, I don't think. It's we, nothing. We did like an early draft segment months ago and he was my guy. Yeah, uh, I and I would have rather draft him than Hendricks, but for the sake of content, you know, like <laughs> different. Guy. You could, you know, you could have, but good, thank you, good job. <laughs> we like educating everybody that listens, so if we can learn about one extra guy that would not be going to the Mets either, then perfect. The the fun, the other fun thing is he's a center fielder who converted to catcher, which is crazy. Like not a lot of center field slash C prospects out no. there. <laughs> It's very like uh, dodgery with Austin Barnes or whoever. That shows his athleticism too, which is always yeah. nice. Yeah, it's like, wanna... oh, good. You have yeah. enough range. You have enough range to patrol center. All right, so now go behind the plate and just stand this little area. <laughs> Supposedly he's a real upstanding guy too. Been like the captain for two years running and all this. And if if you, I think if you look at that profile, the the biggest thing is the power, and then you we can. Hand wave it away with a couple explanations, and then he's the next uh, elite catcher in baseball. You know, that's what I like to hear. So, Mets so are the Mets drafting the next yeah. elite catcher. The Mets should simply draft Buster Posey at nineteen. Is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Easy <works>. enough. <laughs> Just lock it in, boys. Let's go. <laughs> catcher is also definitely an area of need for this organization. Not that you should ever really draft for need in baseball, but holy shit, the catching depth chart is not good. Yeah, yeah, it's it's rough out there. He might be right. the third best catcher in the the third mo- most major league ready catcher in the system. Like, yeah. <laughs> like one injury to Wilson Ramos and he's making his debut. Fuck like, okay, it, he might be on the taxi squad. <laughs> yeah, Port St. Lucie. And you have him or Ali Sanchez, so take oh, your pick. God. I guess. <laughs> no offense, Ali Sanchez, of course, but you know. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over a 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Um, moving on to the second round now. Lucas, 52nd pick. Who are you taking? Um, so this is getting pretty deep into it, honestly. And I I, uh, I think it's really hard to, to pick out a name here that's reasonably like how, how how are you how the hell are we supposed to know who's going to be on we don't even know who's going to be on the board at 19 because this draft is so <laughs> no, low is, information at and, this point we're already reaching so that's why i said you know what screw it let's just go the whole way through because why the hell not yeah so the guy i had originally written down who may actually have been too may actually be way too uh this might be too low for him would be uh carmen Mladzinski, and I'm not going to lie, the reason I originally looked at him was because the name is great, and I just love these crazy Eastern European names, like uh, <laughs> Zepchinski from a decade ago. Scrabble mm-hmm. was always a fun guy to, to have around. Um, so he was a redshirt sophomore. He missed a, a year with a, mo- or most of a year with a broken foot. Um, 
And then, I mean, the, he had the prototypical strong cape season. Um, and, but, and then you could easily have guessed, okay, well, 2020 might be a bounce back year, but then COVID. So while, while with the first pick, I think Ken was definitely hitting on something, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Thomas was hitting on something, uh, notable with, with grabbing a guy who, where you have either more information or more safety. I think with the subsequent picks, uh, especially since it's going to be mostly college players, I imagine. Uh, I'd be looking towards the guys who have been injured or missed a year or what have you, because I think there's probably a lot of hidden upside in there just because we're missing that data, right? So there's probably a bigger delta on these guys, but uh, there's that also allows for the chance that, okay, this guy might have come back and popped as a junior when he was healthy and then uh, even been a first-round guy with more information. So... Um, that that was my general philosophy once we got past the first round. But again, this guy's this was probably a bit too much of a reach. I remember a f- few weeks ago, probably at this point. I know the Mets were supposedly picking, according to whoever was doing the drafting, be it you know MLB or Jim Callis or or BA or whoever it was. But Milotsky was linked to the Mets in the first round, a couple mm-hmm. of weeks, months, whatever it was. So. Maybe they knew something, and you know he he is conceivably a second round guy at this point. Who knows? But there was supposedly a link. So in in so I see that. Be, so I'm saying I was probably he was already reached because I was going off fan graphs, which has him at 46. BP has him at 30. So generous, but not insane to say he makes it to 52. Like, who knows what happens? Oh no, I'm not saying he's. I'm just saying that he was linked at one point mm-hmm. to the Mets. If they were using any kind of insider knowledge, so yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, who went next? Thomas, I think you were next. Yeah. Um. Right. So I'm gonna echo what Lucas said. This is this is quite tough once we get yeah. to 50 because like what when 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 we're doing like 69 and the rest of them, I'm gonna be like, uh, okay, here's draft this pitcher. He throws hard, you know. Mm-hmm. But like. <laughs> Speaking of that, like someone like Jared Schuster throws hard and he's a lefty and has a good, sl- and he's starting to develop a slider. So maybe someone like that could be a pick at 52. To talk on the injured people, Freddie Zamora got hurt. He's a shortstop from Miami. He like tore his ACL or something. And like that might be a dude who you're like, oh, maybe, may- maybe you like a guy like that and you're gambling on he gets healthy in like, like him being healthy is gonna make him high. He should be higher than 52, and was only there because of the injuries. Uh, Baseball America has CJ Van Eck at 54, and I would probably take him at 52 if he was there. So like, it's it's like, I feel like that's low for him to be honest. But like, I don't know. It's hard. It's I'm I'm looking at these names, and it's you can make cases for a lot of them, and you could. There's a lot of pluses and minuses in a normal draft and now when you're we're doing this for um a covid stopped draft it's very hard to <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah someone like that i would take someone who at this point i would definitely go for more upside over safety yep. at, in the second round because like screw it this is basically your eighth round <laughs> yeah. yeah in a normal draft like i think you kind of got to look at it like that where you can't really look at this as your second rounds in a normal draft, because that's not really that doesn't really exist anymore. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think Schuster would be my pick. He throws like, right. like high nineties. He's lefty. Put him in the pen. <laughs> <laughs> Can't argue with that. 
Uh, Ken, who are you taking at number two? This one's totally a stretch, but who knows what a guy like this is, where a guy like this is going to go. But uh, I'm going to go JT Ginn out of Mississippi State. Um, was originally projected to be a, a high first round pick, but then ended up needing Tommy John. Um, I, I think uh, I've always liked his stuff a lot. He reminds me a lot of Marcus Stroman, just the way he pitches. Heavy sinker, good slider, um, change in progress. Uh, I think if he comes back relatively healthy or looking like he did at Mississippi State, there's a chance you're getting a first-round talent for, you know, second-round money. And he's going to miss a year, you know. He's not going to be expensive to sign. So I'd probably go JT Ginn if he's still around. That would be a good shout, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy that <clears throat> the guy that I went for the second round is a dude, another left-hander by the name of Seth Lonsway, and he is also coincidentally from Ohio State, which is where my first round guy was from. He's kind so of got like a bias. Uh, <laughs> well, I know nothing about Ohio State, so I think I've been to Ohio once. Um. No, twice. I've been to Cleveland and I've been to Cincinnati. So, all right. Hey, there's a reason most of our astronauts come from Ohio. They all want to get as far away from Ohio as possible. Oh, see, there you go. I don't know if that's true or not, but hey. <laughs> um, Lonsway, he was he was supposed to start his college career in 2018, but he had some kind of transcript problem, so he was deemed ineligible to play. So he actually has one year of pitching uh, under his belt. 2019. Uh, numbers are fine. The stuff is exciting. Uh, the fastball jumped from like the low to mid 90s this year after being more kind of high 80s last year. Curveball is really good. It's, um, you know, one of the better curveballs in the draft class this year. And then the slider and the changeup that he pitches, they're both, you know, average, maybe, you know, above average pitches with some work. He's got a good frame, six foot three, 200 pounds. Um, you know, so it's, it's a good, uh, set of skills there. But the bad thing is that his mechanics get very out of sync easily. He throws kind of like Hideki Okajima, very over the top, and he jerks his head to the side. Mm. Um, he pitched 90, in his one year, he had 92 and a third, um, innings, and he walked 59 batters, which is a 5.8 walk per nine, which is not good. But, when things are in sync, he's, you know, when he is able to throw in the zone, the stuff, you know, plays up and he's kind of unhittable. And, you know, the Mets have done a pretty good job with pitching over the last couple of years. So he's a gamble, but I think it's a reasonable gamble. And if he doesn't sign and he does go back to school since he's a redshirt freshman, uh, you know, the Mets can get that compensation for next year's draft. So there is a little insurance there. I almost wouldn't be mad if the Mets got a comp in the first round either. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Like, really, it's just so weird this year that if it was just completely punted, intentionally or unintentionally, whatever, it's not the worst thing in the world. Like, if you take someone you really like but also don't think he'll sign, like, you legitimately take them to to sign them, but if they don't, then I wouldn't be furious. Like, normally I'd be pissed. Yes. Like, I almost would rather... Not would rather, but if you get two kicks at the can in 2021 when... Hopefully, there's a season and you could actually get to, you actually have two legitimate first round picks with full knowledge of the, of the draft class more so than we have right now. It might not be terrible. It would yeah, suck I mean, for the system though. Well, so, I mean, 2020 sucks for the system. So. Yeah. No, yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, it would be nice to get another, 
it it would nice have for the Mets to get a first round pick to trade for a thirty eight year old. But true. Like, <laughs> but like otherwise, it w- I don't think it would be. I don't think this season is the worst season for that to happen. To yeah, no, I agree. I mean, that could in theory be a, a strategy too. You know, it's just uh, a weird ass draft. All right, uh, Lucas, we are back to you now. The third uh, round pick. So I'm gonna do it and take Blaze Jordan at at uh, with the third round pick. What well, number um, was that? Sixty nine. Yep, exactly. <laughs> nice. So Blaze Jordan becomes the 69th pick in the draft. So I'm sure plenty of people are familiar with that name. Thirteen year old kid hits a couple of 500 foot home runs, and everyone's like, "Holy shit!" It's the next Bryce Harper. Turns out he's not. <laughs> that good as in he's still good but he's not Bryce Harper um some serious contact concerns at this point uh third base and probably first base long-term home uh but the dude still got some crazy raw power like he's a notable prospect he he made the unfortunate error of reclassifying from 2021 to the 2020 draft before all this stuff went down so that's uh, a <laughs> little unlucky for him um, and he's been a long time commit to Mississippi State, so who knows how signable he is at this point. But at the, once we get this far down in a draft with little information, I think there's something to be said for the, the, there being actual value in the name recognition, right? Like his name, you, we know his name for, because he's been scouted for years. And, uh, at the same time, there's still upside there. It's not like it's just some guy we've seen forever and know what he is. It's some guy we've known forever has stupid upside and we're not sure if he's going to make good on it. So with a third round pick, just throw it out there, see if you can get him to sign. Yeah, he, that, that is, I guess, an example of a relatively safe, uh, prep guy. Yeah. Someone that's been just on the scene for so long. Yeah. All right. Thomas, who are you picking at number three? Um, I would either probably take one of the two-way players, like Casey, Casey Schmidt or Cade Horton, because you get premium athleticism in the third round, because you have to be in order to do that. Um, and both of them have legitimate possibilities at both sides, I think. Like, you're you're not limiting yourself to just, like, one thing. There's a total possibility that they only... I mean, there's possibilities that they end up being a two-way player, and it's amazing. But if if either or fail at the hitting side or fail at the pitching side, they still have the other one to fall back on, so you're almost getting two chances at a prospect in one. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be adverse to taking someone like that just because they both have high athleticism. They both throw rather hard when they when they can't when they like really um rear back and fire it out. I think Schmidt is more of a reliever than a starter if he would be a pitcher, but still like in a, in the third round of a fine brown draft, that's not the worst thing in the world to get a usable player because you're only getting five shots at a usable player here. Like, I would be, like, again, to change your expectations, if the Mets took a reliever-only pitcher in the third round last year, I'd be like, what the hell are they doing? But (laughs) the third round is a hell of a lot different when there's only five. So if you're going to take a reliever, if if, if you're going to take a dude who could be usable at any stretch, then... It's fine with me, pretty much. I think, I think that's going to be the biggest part of us is changing our expectations about where people are picked and what type of player is picked where. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's basically what I'm thinking about when I'm thinking when I'm thinking this late into a draft with so many question marks is athleticism and just high upside because 
what the hell, why not? Yeah. I mean, like, at this point, why the hell yeah. not anyway? Yeah. Also, if you take a two-way player, make him a two-way player in the minors until one or the other stands out more. That's oh, yeah. my take. All right. Ken? Um, I'm going to continue my theme of just college pitchers and go with Jake Etter, a left-handed starter from Vanderbilt. Hell yeah. Oh, um, he, would, he was on my list, Ken. So Yeah, he would be like... Um, I don't know. I, I think he, he's got a very nice curveball. Um, the fastball leaves something to be desired, but he's got a strong track record of SEC play. Um, you know, I wouldn't be too disappointed if he was a, you know, a second round pick, let alone, this is what? Is this technically our second round pick? Uh, this is technically it's the sandwich from losing Wheeler. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. still, you know, I, I, he's a guy I wouldn't be disappointed taking a little higher than this. And, um, also again, a guy who could potentially contribute right away and not lose a year of development time after a short college season. So he's already got a good curveball. He's a lefty. I don't know. Man, if Ken, if Ken was a GM, his team would have the, like, most boringest, league averages, deepest starting staff ever because he just <laughs> keeps drafting college pitchers. Yep. We don't we don't have any aces, but we've got like seventeen number three starters. Well, if you want a number three starter, have I got a pick for you right now? Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> with with the pick here, I am going with the University of Florida Ace. Um I use that in quotation marks. Tommy Mace. He is uh he's a big guy, six foot seven, two hundred and twenty five pounds, but nothing in the repertoire really jumps out at you. Uh, he's a so-so record in his first two years. This year was a bit better, but obviously it's much uh, shortened. Mid-90s fastball, has some plane and some sink since he's pretty tall. Um, you know, mid-90s fastballs as a right-hander, it's like, all right, whatever. Um, a slider, curveball, change-up, you know, the full the full repertoire there. Some say the changeup is better. Some say the slider, but whatever. They're still about average pitches. Um, he throws strikes. You know, his big thing is he gets a lot of weak contact and a lot of ground balls because of the sink and the fastball. And he's basically kind of the prototypical durable workhorse. You know, not flashy, but he's consistent and he gets the job done. And it is what it is. And that is generic right-handed pitcher. <laughs> that would fit very well on Ken's team. <laughs> I just want to say, like, uh, Edder is not a t- number three starter. <laughs> <laughs> I also like Edder actually because the Mets like drafted Edder. him in uh, the Mets drafted him in 2017, so that makes my life a lot easier uh, having to write up his profile because all of the background information is already yep. Copy, paste, adjust some stats, see if anything's changed, and hit that publish button. Nice. Not much has changed. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately for him, I guess. All right. We are in the third round now. The Mets' fourth pick, the 91st overall pick. Lucas, who are you going with? I'm reaching for a dude, mostly because, like Thomas said, I, I think the, his comment about uh, two-way players is is – a good one. Um, so I went for uh, the guy who had the only person I or one of the few players I've ever seen to spell my name the same way I do, and that's Lucas <laughs> Cook. 
He spells it with a K the correct way. Um, so he's a, a, both a shortstop, that's probably a third baseman because he's a prep shortstop and they're all third baseman actually, uh, slash pitcher. He can hit 98 off the mound. He has a nice compact swing at the plate. Uh, not a huge dude, not huge raw power at the moment, enough athleticism to, to be a two-way player up to this point, And I think that makes him interesting enough, um, he does have a verbal commitment to South Carolina, I believe, so uh, might not be able to buy him out of that. But uh, like you said, at this point in the draft, it's it's kind of throw, throwing darts and even just making the connection with this dude if you want to be in on him in two years might be worth it. That's not the worst idea. The mm, connection's true. The Mets do love going back to that well. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes. Carlos Cortez. I'm convinced the Mets have like 30 players on their draft board. And and it's just like, oh, they didn't sign. Put them on next year's immediately. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like it's just it's they like who they like, and that's it. And it's interesting to see them constantly it's, go back to the well. It's very Dave Gettleman of them. So for those <laughs> you know, Dave Gettleman is the GM of the Giants and the former GM of the Panthers. But he, in his like, I don't know exactly how many years he's been a GM, a long ass time. He has never traded back in the NFL draft. <laughs> Literally has his board, says, oh, I'm just taking this guy. And I'm pretty sure that's how the bets work, too. They're like, yeah, we got our guys, and uh, that's who we're taking. And then we're doing the same thing next year. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, when your entire – how do I put this nicely? When your entire department is relatively small, um, yeah, you kind of rely a lot on data that you've already worked out. So uh, – Thomas, who are you going with the fourth pick, third round? 91. It's funny. As Lucas was talking about a two-way player, I was quite scared that he was going to take Tanner Witt because that's who I was going to say. Because mm-hmm. he, I, I looked player. at him, but why? Yeah. He doesn't have the same name. Why that's would I fair. Take him? Um, I think he's more of a the way the, with the paragraphs that I've read about him. He seems to be more of a pitcher than a hitter because his bat seems to be a little slow. Like that seems to be the biggest problem, and it's hard to speed about it. But like, he has a good curveball already at, like, 18 years old, and if you already have a pitch that's – it has a lot of rotation from what I understand, and it has good depth to it. So if you're going to really have a good pitch that's a secondary at 18, that intrigues me in the third round of a draft mm. because it's just hard to find. Like, most dudes are living off their fastball at that point, and if you could live off something else already, then that is a good step for you to be – at least a two-pitch pitcher in the majors, which is a reliever, and that's not the worst thing in the world. So, and he's also he's a he's a big kid. He's six six and only one ninety five. So, if he could fill out, then he starts throwing harder, and that curveball is still there. Then you might have something cooking on the mound. So yeah, that's basically it. And again, athlete because you have to be to be a two-way player. Ken, who are you going with? So I I have um there, there's two I'd like to talk about. And uh, one I'll actually select. But um, one guy going with the, the two-way player, Casey Schmidt from San Diego State, uh, I think is very interesting. He's a third baseman slash right-handed pitcher. Uh, the reason I'm not going to pull the trigger is because he seems more like a reliever um, uh, as a pitcher. And I'm, I'm not particularly confident in the bat, although I would like to shout out that um, position player, elite closer, is my dream. <laughs> Uh, profile. So, <laughs> uh, my real pick is going to be Jordan Logo from Michigan. Um, 
he's he's got an elite track record of college performance. He's an outfielder, um, elite athleticism, great power, some questions with his ability to hit for average, um, but a tremendous athlete who can really run. Um, a lot of people are concerned about his ability to play the outfield. But ultimately, I, I don't worry about defensive improvements from, you know, amateur ball to pro ball. I think that's one thing that we, um, you know, that baseball as a whole has learned to coach fairly well is, um, you know, routes and stuff like that. So I think there's potential to get a really, really good player um, relatively deep into the draft with Mo Will. He's also a Michigan man, so. <laughs> the real question is, does he know Barwis? Yeah, probably. No. <laughs> he was recruited to play football. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, then he's way up the board. <laughs> Number one. The vets are going to take him at 19. <laughs> All right, with my next pick, I'm going with Markevian Hentz, who is a right-handed pitcher from Watson Chapel High School in Pine, Pine Bluff, Arkansas. And obviously high school stats are irrelevant. He didn't even have a season this year, so junior stats are even more relevant. But the stuff is good. That's all that matters. Uh, fastball sits in the low 90s right now. It could top out 95, 96 because he, he started using a more over-the-top delivery last year, and that gave him some more uh, miles per hour on it. And it also gave it a little bit more sync. And then he complements the fastball with a slider. That flashes plus... Change up, it's workable, and he fools around with a curveball. And Hence reminds me a lot of uh, Joshua Wolf. Physically, they're similar. Hence is 6'1", 170, and Wolf is 6'3", 170. Both have electric fastballs that rely on, on arm strength. They both have a flashy breaking ball that stands out among prep guys. Wolf has the curve, Hence has a slider. Um, I think Hence's mechanics are a little bit better, so that's good. And another plus is that Hintz is actually very, very young. He's going to be 17 still on draft day, and he doesn't turn 18 until August. So youth is good. Youth is a plus. And he has a commitment to the University of uh, Arkansas, but, you know, maybe the Mets are able to save a little bit of money from the guys that I, I picked earlier, Dingler and Mace, and they could break the commitment. Um Another thing also is that there's so much uncertainty about the future of the minor leagues right now and even how the draft is going to be next year because the CBA is up and everything. Sometimes, you know, some guys that are prep players, they might just want the kind of guaranteed payoff now, um, you know, because there's just so much uncertainty about how things are going to work in the future. So he is who I'm going to be going with. All right. Moving on to the fourth round now, uh, pick number 120. Lucas, who is your selection? So I was going to go with Kevin Abel. He's a right-hand pitcher from Oregon State. Damn you. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> did I did I screw it up? We got, we got four, four picks in and before, before I screwed it up. That's okay. Uh, yeah, I should have done I'm a college pitcher again here. Well, uh, he's interesting to me because he was – uh, he actually closed out Oregon, uh, uh, State, Oregon State's, uh, uh, College World Series run. Um, fastball is pedestrian and the breaking ball is whatever, but he actually has a, what, what looked to be an excellent changeup, um, at least for a college pitcher. And there's always risk there when you're looking at 
changeups in in college and even a marginally okay one looks incredible. So there's perhaps bias there, but from the few looks I got at it at the time and from what I've read, it seems like it was actually a plus pitch. And then he blew out uh, his arm with TJ and uh, hasn't really pitched since. Uh, so I think it's another chance to, to capitalize on someone who was taking that kind of uh, prototypical college starter arc where you do some good stuff in the bullpen and then you move to the rotation and then you get drafted as a back end or mid rotation starter. And he just kind of missed that last step there due to injury and and perhaps there's some hidden value there uh particularly if he's a guy who already has a feel for a changeup, which is something that uh i mean sinks or swims a lot of these guys as starters uh if they can get that change up developed so uh at this point in the draft it seemed like a pretty decent bet to try to snag a guy who could uh be a back-end starter with a three-pitch mix thomas who is your pick um Jamal O'Gwin would be my pick here. Um, he is a third baseman at USC right now. And the main reason why he sticks out to me is because he has a above average eye already. Um, in, in, um, I'm looking at baseball reference right now. In, in, he has three years at UFC, at USC and one year in, in Cape Cod. And his lowest on base percentage was 392 as a freshman. Nice. So, like. Language. <laughs> um, so like he to have just a above average skill like that this late into a draft would be nice to bank on and if you could get his hitting up in other ways like he was never a bad hitter at USC like don't get me wrong but obviously it's college and college is hard to judge but I feel like on base percentage is an easy way to like that doesn't go away like his eye is his eye and I think that's kind of an underrated thing and I think that's why a guy like Brandon Nimmo has made it as far as he has and I'm not saying he's the next Brandon Nimmo where he's going to walk all the time in the majors, but like I think that's an underrated skill to bank on for a hitter because you could you could conceivably get his power up because he's six four two twenty. He's not a small dude by any means either. So if you could get the slugging percentage up and get everything else up while while him keeping that patience at the plate, you could really have something there as an offensive player. And I think that's why he's an interesting player. So yeah. That would be my pick. So you're saying he is going to be the next Brandon Nimmo? Absolutely. Okay, that's what I want to hear. It's going to be somewhere in between Brandon Nimmo and Will Toffey. Ah, all right. There's uh, not a lot of variance there. <laughs> Ken, who is your fourth-round pick? What, what selection is this again? This is the fifth selection, fourth round, 120th overall. 120th. Um... This might be a little bit of a reach, but I'm going to go with Dalton Fowler, um, continuing on the theme of guys the Mets have already drafted. Uh, he's a left-handed pitcher out of Northwest Mississippi uh, Community College. Um, so this time we're going with a junior college starter. <laughs> um, Fowler, you know, some things to like. He's got a decent breaking ball, decent fastball, makings of a changeup. Very raw, as you would expect from a JUCO guy, but the Mets liked him enough to make him Matt Allen insurance. So I'm going to go with they probably still like him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, not much has changed. Literally nothing has changed. Yep. So 
All right. With my pick, I'm going to go with someone who's already been talked about, Casey Schmidt. So, I mean, there's not really much to add. Um, I will say, though, that um, in in March of 2019, he won the Mountain West Conference Player of the Week and Pitcher of the Week at the same time, which is the first time that that's ever happened wow. in conference history. Yeah, so That's crazy. That's cool. But, yeah, he's been spoken about, so we will move on. All right, we are up to our last pick now. The Mets is sixth in the fifth round, 150 overall. Lucas, who is your final selection? All right, so I'm gonna I'm just gonna own up to it and admit that I uh, didn't. I had one few two names here, so I'm kind of <laughs> pulling this one out out of my ass a little bit. Um, but going back to the idea that we might want guys on the taxi squad this year, uh, I'm gonna go with Tyler Brown from Vanderbilt. So he's the a big, uh, chonky boy at, uh, 240 pounds <laughs> off the mound. He's 6'4", so it's not like super chonk, but he's a, a big dude. Um, and he's super quite... chonk, new band name, I call it. He's super <laughs> chonk, yeah, there you go. Super free, uh, yeah, yeah, you can have that. Um, <laughs> you can have that. uh, uh, what, where the, where the, what the hell was I even saying? Oh, right, uh, uh, so he's been, um, quite good as Vanderbilt's closer, so that's like a blue chip program that he's been, uh, uh, solid at. Um, uh, and now there's concerns about his control and might actually only be a middle relief profile. And we all know how well drafting successful college relievers goes. Cough, Eddie Coons, cough, cough. Oh, oh. Um, but like he works in the low to mid nineties, has a good breaking ball. It's worked there. Maybe it could work in the majors. So I'd, uh, uh like low information draft, low money draft, potential need for shuttle arms. Screw it. Take, take the, take a, uh, uh, a college reliever. Now, I will say, had I realized I was one pick short, I would have <laughs> dug more into this into this path and like found uh, maybe a college reliever I like more. But that's the like, general philosophy I'd be going with for, with this last pick. I could see the Mets having your same philosophy and going, "Oh shit, yeah. we are one pick, two picks." Yep, so. yep. That's uh, <laughs> as long as they don't do this in the first round, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that would be problematic. All right, Thomas, who is your final pick? Um, the Mets should draft Marquise Grissom Jr., one, Hell because yeah. he's Marquise Grissom's kid. And that's exactly. Awesome. And he has, like, from what I understand, he has a good splitter already at this stage of the game, and he's young, obviously. He's not in college yet. He committed to Georgia Tech, so you might be able to talk him out of it. But he's 6'2", 180, and he throws to the high 80s, low 90s, so hopefully with more weight and strength, he'll throw a little harder, and that'll really help play off his splitter will really play off that better um he's starting to throw a curve he has a curveball that it's like okay that could be above average but so that's three pitches and a splitter is a fun pitch always so it's just fun to draft someone like that because of the name recognition and just just get some shots at another prep arm because i'm apparently all about taking very young people in a five round draft (laughs) In which they have played like one week of high of high school ball. <laughs> so, <laughs> so <I> mean, like, <laughs> uh, Thomas, I guy... regret to inform you that the Blue Jays already took this guy with their second <laughs> round pick. Yeah, sorry. I mean, honestly, the it's he has the bloodline, and the Blue Jays love it, so I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> That's like they, the Blue they, Jays' favorite thing. They did well for themselves the last two or three years. Four three times, or four. Yeah, yeah. So they've got Bichette. 
Vigio, Vladito. I don't. I guess Guriel doesn't really count because it's all like a son. It's a younger brother, but but still. Well, their father was a big uh, player That's, in Cuba, yeah, so yeah. why not? You can include him. Oh, they they they're the ones who drafted Conine's kid too, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yep. <laughs> They have, they have just gone <laughs> Bloodlines, baby! Yeah. If the dad was good at baseball, so will the son. Uh-huh. The draft That's block. just science. <laughs> 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 All right, uh, Ken, who is your final selection? Um, so I, I'm inclined to cheat here and just say whichever prep ends up falling that you can throw money at, but, you know... That's not that might funny. not be a, val- a valid strategy in this year's draft. So instead, <laughs> I'm going to go with another guy who I think will still be around just because of um, some signability questions, and he's relatively new to pitching, and that's Hunter Barnhart. He's a, a prep righty from uh, St. Joseph's High School in California. Um, the two things that I, I like about him is he was kind of a velo pop-up guy this year, but obviously, you know, given that nobody's seen him pitch or, you know, he didn't pitch much before the season was canceled. Um, that might be a little quieter than in years past. And he's also got a very good curveball that he shows uh, good feel for, you know, good feel for spin. Uh, the reason why he might not be signable is he's apparently a big time football prospect as well. So who knows how that plays into things. But if he's at all signable, I think there's a decent amount of upside and uh, for, for not much cost. At 150, so we shall see. All right, with my last pick, I'm going with Nick Griffin, who's a left-handed pitcher at a Monticello High School in Monticello, Arkansas. And he is almost a left-handed version of the guy that I drafted earlier, Markevian Hentz. He's, like Hentz, he's from Arkansas. He also has a commitment to the University of Arkansas. He's also... Pretty young. He's still 17. He turns 18 literally uh, later in the week on draft day. Um, and he's an athletic 6'4", 175 pounds. So there's probably some projection left in there. Um, hence, definitely has flashier stuff. But Griffin is is pretty solid. Uh, fastball sits in the upper 80s, the low 90s. Tops out about 93, which from a left-hander is not too bad. Um, he's tall. And he throws from a high three quarters, so the, the pitch has some downward plane to it. And he complements it with a slider and a changeup. The slider is the better of the two, and the changeup is still a work in progress. Uh, the control command, they come and go, but you know, that, that comes with the territory of a young left-hander. So, um, in addition, he's, he's a pretty good hitter. Obviously his future's on the mound, but it never, you know, never hurts to be a good hitter, hitting pitcher. All right. Obligatory uh, uh, heck the DH. Yes, of course. We do not like the DH. All right. Uh, any last words on the week? I think we've pretty much said everything here. Please right. don't take Nick Bit. Nick bit, bit uh, forget Bitsco? it. Bisco. Bisco. Thank you. Christ. Nabisco. Ugh. <laughs> I had a whole point I wanted to make, and now I just don't want to bother. Just, just, <laughs> God damn it. You tried. Yep. Right, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you could send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. 
Um, if you feel like it, I am at Steve Cipher. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at SadMetSeason, SZN. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. Rate and review them. And, of course, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week to uh, talk about what the Mets actually did on draft day. <laughs> so, until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.